Welcome, everyone, to Krypton Alderon. This episode, I'm talking with professional speaker, entrepreneur, and activist Jolene Jang. Jolene has been the president of the National Speakers Association, and her consulting business is dedicated to helping companies learn about efficiency, team building, and Asian culture. Her history in advocacy and activism has landed her on many news and talk shows, including Oprah, and she's recently dedicating all of her time and energy into fighting anti-Asian racism. So stay tuned as Jolene and I talk about Stop Asian Hate, Asian representation in pop culture, and what we can all do to help on this episode of Krypton to Alderaan. Your first one-on-one podcast. What's going on? How are you? I'm pretty nervous. Yeah. I would say nervous is the most encompassing word here. And nervous is such a great feeling. And I wish I were more nervous more often. So what I need to do and learn from you is to push myself. Because when you're nervous, that means you're doing something out of your comfort zone. And that's what I preach, to be out of your comfort zone. And so I will take a nod from you and make sure that I do something to push myself next week. This week, actually. It's great to set goals for the meantime, for the next however long we talk here. You can certainly live vicariously through me in terms of (laughs) being nervous. You could take some of that burden would be great. That's a good intro. So Jolene, let me ask you, how are you doing in every sense of of that question? Well, right now on the weekends, it is good because I, in order for me to survive, because there's so much pain out there and violence and silence that the weekends I get outside, I have different walking partners and I went kayaking with goats yesterday and (laughs) did a photo shoot on the beach. So these are some tactics where I can be out in nature to have some sanity because it's pretty hardcore. I will have many interviews of of Asian voices throughout the day, maybe sometimes even four. And Asians are coming to me with their stories of what happened to them. And it's hard. I want to be there because I want to hear these stories and amplify them. But to hear so much uh, harassment and people not showing they care and people being silent, it's tough. But at this moment, it's Father's Day. I'm going to see a friend and then I'm going to see my parents. So it's good on the weekend here. Well, that's great. We might have, spoiler alert, we might have gone a little bit into my surprise question for the end of this, but we'll circle back because we will have to talk more about kayaking with goats. Yeah, and there's pictures with kayaks with goats. So Julie, right off the bat here is a good intro. Can you describe, define, stop Asian hate, the cause, maybe like where it started, where it is now? I would say when it picked up momentum was Atlanta, where it actually made the news. Last year, 2020, there were some mentions, but barely. And with Atlanta, that got national news. And that's why I started to pick it up and get involved. Because if people are going to pay attention, the time is now before something else happens. Where are we now? I don't think that people know about that Asians are being harassed and stabbed and killed. And for example, there's a stabbing at least every other day of an Asian person. A 94-year-old was the other day. 
an Asian on a bike who was stabbed by a white guy riding by with a knife. And so I absolutely do not believe that people understand what's happening out there. Even in our nice little beautiful white picketed fences in the suburbs, it's happening out here. Even if you don't hear about it and the news isn't reporting about it, you just have to know. For example, in where I live in the north end of Seattle, there's a little suburb and where I grew up in Bothell and there was a stabbing of a Vietnamese man. And I talked to the chief of police to ask him, hey, what's your thoughts on that? And he was really surprised. He was kind of shocked. I'm like, really? Because I see stabbings almost every other day. And they were so, so surprised because they don't get many reports. Well, Asians aren't telling them. So if Asians don't say anything, how do you know? And so I am trying to get the word out there. My whole cause is to raise awareness. And it's a difficult one because Asians are pretty silent for the most part. And then uh, white people don't know and don't want to know. And, and so it's, it's a tough thing, Joey. Yeah. And in my nerdy pop culture news wheelhouse, I've been seeing celebrities speak out about Stop Asian Hate. Actors like Simu Liu, Kelly Marie Tran, Daniel Day Kim, very importantly, using their status to spotlight the cause. But often I think it's hard to relate to celebrities' experiences, right? Like we put them on these pedestals. They exist high up on Mount Olympus, you know? So I think it's very important and maybe more relatable to hear the perspective from people with boots on the ground in the real world, in our real world. And you, obviously, Jolene, have your boots firmly planted <laughs> on the ground in this cause. <laughs> they are stuck and cemented. And yeah, I don't I don't know if killing evasions is going to go away this year or 10 years from now. So I will continue to fight as long as I can afford to. You mentioned that Hollywood Asians are speaking up and they are. And to be honest with you, before I started this program called Aren't Asians All Alike? And it's for corporate folks to learn about Asian cultures because we're not Black. Some people are LGBT, but it's a completely different thing. We're not included in that. And until that, a couple of years ago, I didn't even know any famous Asians besides Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, who my parents went to school with, and Lisa Ling. And so you mentioned all the new performers, and it is very exciting. However, they are also kind of relatable because what I've noticed is Asian Hollywood or Asian famous is not famous. Hardly nobody knows any Asians. There's a survey out about it too, but I've also done my own surveys. And me, myself, and I, I only knew seven until two years ago. I'm hearing all the stories from these Hollywood people and it's very late as an Asian hearing from them. It's very relatable. But because nobody cares, like it's not like I could just get an interview with Daniel Day Kim or Kelly Tran, but I would have a much easier time to do that than some other person. So, you know, I have a lot more access because people just don't care. And even when they're doing these, Time Magazine and Amazon and Netflix are doing these specials, you can see how many people have watched and it's not very many. So I could have actually better access because it's Asian famous. It's not mainstream white famous. Well, that's certainly a new perspective on it. Like I said, we tend to put celebrities on these pedestals. I've listened to about 275 Asian panels, Asian people talking about Allura magazine and these other companies talking about why we need Asian representation. And so there's all these panels that I've done and Amazon and Netflix and Time magazine and a lot of other groups have done these panels and you can see how many people have watched. And most of it is Asians because if you look at the comments, it's like all Asians. But this is made really for the mainstream, you know, white people to, to learn about 
about what's happening with us. But watching them, I'm very particular and specific and have a short attention span. And being a professional speaker, I don't have a lot of patience for bad moderating and boring speaking. And all of these panels were so moving. And my theory is because it's raw. These words have never been spoken. This is so raw because Asian culture, we don't share how we feel, certainly not in public. I mean, not even even in private. So to share these vulnerable stories and to cry in front of people, are you kidding me? And to hear men talk about feelings. I mean, this is bizarre. And it's because it's the last straw. We have to speak up. And all those Asian famous folks, they, they've got to use their platforms because we keep, will continue to die if they do not. And so these expressions are just so raw that these panels are so good and they're accessible all to the public and they're recorded if people were interested. Great. I will ask you for those resources. Yes. I'll put them in the show notes. And speaking of being vulnerable, I'd like to ask you a personal question, if that's all right, based on some recent interviews I've listened to of yours. You've talked about this experience you had with being out at a restaurant with your parents. Can you go through that situation? Yeah, this was a couple months ago. It was after Atlanta and it was my Chinese uncle's death day where you celebrate each year. And this is also the first time to go to a public restaurant to be indoors inside of a restaurant since COVID. And we went, we were all vaccinated. So my parents and my aunt and cousin and I, and we went to this restaurant here in you know greater Seattle. And when we went in there, I was scoping out the joint because it's an Asian complex. And and a lot of the attacks that we hear of are in Chinatown, where there's a bunch of Asians. Like it's easy targeting to go stab or shoot or spit or urinate on, on somebody. And so here we are. And there's Chinese in the restaurants. And it was a corner spot, big round table. And I sat strategically facing the window. It was all windows. So I could see, all right, well, if somebody wanted to take a machine gun and just pummel through, hey, we can get a bunch of Chinese people here or Asians, they could. Right. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking what to do and what to say. And my mom's hard of hearing. So I was going to make sure to be very loud, like get down under the table. And then we were by the bathrooms too. So we could all crawl to the bathrooms to get out there. And so this is what I was thinking as my parents were ordering. That's just so incredibly heartbreaking. And to be blunt as a straight cis white man, the privileges of being able to go somewhere and not being afraid of where I am or where I'm existing in that moment in time, that's an incredible perspective to have insight into. So how do you feel in that moment and then in the aftermath of that moment? Emotionally, what toll does that have on you? Well, it's reality. And I, I stopped walking alone after I had two incidents myself. Two out of four times I went walking alone after Atlanta in my nice little neighborhood. You know, the houses are seven hundred dollars to $800,000. Just a normal suburb with trees and everything. So I had two incidents where this car... It's hard to describe, but basically this car was tinted windows and was curved at me just waiting there. And I ran. And then he followed me down and then I ran the other direction and he was gone. So I don't really know what that was, but certainly it was bizarre. And there was another time where I was walking to my folks' house to feed the chickens. And this guy was like, hey, beautiful, come over here and blah, blah, blah. I love you. And this is not characteristic of my little suburb. And also, it wasn't a cat call. I was also in my baggy sweats. And I don't think I've had cat calls maybe 20, 30 years ago. 
That was an Asian intimidation thing. I don't know what he would have done. Thank goodness there was a car behind him because I'm in this little area. There's nobody around besides that. So, you know, I got out my camera just in case, but it's not pleasing. And because my friend had three guys yell at him when he was in the car, one of my neighbors, and because this other guy down the road was hit in the head with a bottle by a teenager, and because this other neighbor, he had to jump out of the road in order to not be run over. And because... So it goes on and on and on. And so how does it feel? It's a new reality and I don't walk alone. And I've got a police baton and I have pepper gas. I did go shooting. I don't have a gun, but I think it's good to know what are your options because I'm 5'1". I'm 105 pounds. You know, what am I to do? So right now I just don't be alone, but sometimes I need to get gas. So it's being aware. And I also, if I'm walking with a friend, I walk against the traffic, eyes on the road. I do not want to be hit by a car. That's more concerning to me. And also with all the different crimes where you have people watching an Asian be bashed in and that's like nonstop. So I don't expect a lot from people anymore. That's just so horrible. I can't imagine why you don't expect a lot from people anymore. So I'd like to switch gears and talk about representation in Hollywood. And on this podcast before, I've talked about Kelly Marie Tran and her role in Star Wars The Last Jedi. And something we've alluded to, the horrible bullying that we've been talking about is pretty prevalent, that eventually led to her leaving Twitter and other social media and her not having a role in the sequel to that movie. And unfortunately, that point in time was my introduction into the awareness of anti-Asian sentiment, anti-Asian racism. So. I want to know your point of view, obviously, Jolene, your perspective growing up, your lived experiences, your adult life, and your family's experiences. I am from Seattle. I'm Japanese, Chinese, Swedish. I'm fourth generation. And I don't meet that many Asians who have been here in America for four generations. And it really does matter. What what I've been finding, because I'm on eight different groups, 13,000 Asians here. So I'm listening to make sure to hear what a ton of other Asians are saying. The generation does matter. I was born here. My parents were born here. So I shouldn't have to prove anything. My name is Jolene, kind of a Southern name. And I didn't have what's called ethnic weird food. I had sandwiches for the most part. I mean, sometimes I got some gyoza that my mom ate, which is very exciting. But I only speak English. I mean, I know a little bit of sign language. But all I know is American culture with a little bit of Japanese culture because my uh, grandparents went to the Buddhist church and we did the cultural events. But I am super American. So if you told me to go back to my country, okay, Seattle is in America. That's where I was born. Uh, My parents too. So what are you talking about? So Japanese, Chinese, Swedish, my dad is Chinese and Swedish. And his dad from China came over to Seattle and set up a pancake house. So this Chinese guy with a pancake house in white bothel. So as far (laughs) as my dad... Yeah. As far as my dad knows, he was the only minority. He's like, no, no, there's a minority in Woodenville. You know, this other neighbor. He's like, there was a black kid over there. So it was very white. And so my dad did get in a number of fights. He was sticking up for other people and himself. So I was taught to fight. So that's kind of different. I was taught to be respectful and to be obedient, but also do question authority. Right, right, right. (laughs) So, So... And also, I didn't have to be the collective person. I got to be an individual, which is counter to Asian culture. Definitely Chinese is more the collective. We're all kind of one for this one 
cause. But as Americans, no, no, you're an individual. Get out there, you know, and stand out, speak up. And so I did get that. Now with my mom, she was in Seattle. She's Japanese. And she went to Garfield in Seattle. So that's Quincy Jones, Jimi Hendrix. And then they also knew Bruce Lee, who went to the University of Washington. Wow. Yeah. The Asian community is very tiny and the Japanese community, very small. And because of the redlining, they were all relegated to a particular area. So they do know each other. And what I was going to mention about my dad is he grew up as the minority everywhere he went. And he's always been in white spaces. And so he's been in the Rotary for, I think, 30, 40 years with all the other white seniors now too. And so when you are in this white community the whole time, you assimilate, you know, you're part of the group and you just do like the others do. The generation of my parents and many other Asian parents is not to speak up. Now, my dad had many fights when he was a kid. But now being in the white community so long, you just are part of the community. And to speak up now is not the time because you're already accepted. You've made it. And so when you speak up and say, hey, stop Asian hate, they're like, wait a minute, you're like one of us. You're not one of those so many Asian parents are like, why are you saying anything? It'll go away or it's always been hard. Let's just heads down, move on. You've made it. Don't other yourself. But the thing is you can't escape your Asian skin. It's so funny with, it's not funny, but with other, so many Asians, they're trying so hard to be quiet about it. But it's like, no, we know you're Asian. You're still Asian. So it's, it's a tough one. Right. That leads into something that I want to get into here. As a quick aside, I just want to say, if you're listening to this and you're curious about redlining, Jolene mentioned redlining, go look it up. If you live in a metropolitan area anywhere in this country, there is redlining. Check it out. Do some research. It's a very important thing. Getting into the idea of Asians being silent and the he's made it sentiment. There's been articles lately about the recent use of the black scent by Asian actors. And now the dropping of that accent in terms of it being something that they feel that they have to do to fit in. So you've mentioned being fourth generation Asian American. And I'm curious if there's sentiments consciously or subconsciously for you specifically that you felt you've had to do to fit in. And also, again, the question of the previous generations, what they felt they've had to do to change to fit in? Well, that question, I have better answers for other people. I have always been very confident. I grew up in a white community. I think in my elementary school, maybe there were five Asian kids, maybe more. I don't. I didn't really pay attention. I was a good athlete and I was fun. You know, I was kind of smart and I had an American name. So I didn't get the teasing that I want to say 95% of Asians get who are in a white community. I didn't get that. I'm finding that that is absolutely rare. But also if I had any problems, my dad would have probably said, oh yeah, well, I'm going to show you how to make a fist there, daughter. And he would probably try me how to fight or call them out. And so I don't know if I was just lucky or I had some other tools or what, but I would say from interviewing a lot of teenagers, I think I've interviewed 16 teenagers so far, 14 to 17 year old young Asian girls. And this is in 30% Asian schools. And to hear about how being teased and bullied has impacted their lives. And it is devastating. And listening to all these Asian panels of when they were teased and the slanty eyes and all the phrases and, oh, did your mom make dog today? It is so universal and how that impacts people. And so I feel like I want to speak up louder because other Asians are triggered by this. I don't have that trauma. So it is easier for me to speak out. So 
I don't blame Asians for not speaking. I want them to be a little bit uncomfortable because, hey man, if you think everything is cool, that's not good. For my parents, let's talk about my mom. My mom did grow up in the red line area. So it was diverse, but is relatively segregated. She still keeps in touch with her friend Rita from San Francisco, who's black, but it was pretty segregated. And it was just like Japanese hung out with Japanese and Filipinos with Filipinos. And talking to my parents and my aunt, et cetera, you got to pull teeth to get them to speak. You have to know, well, what question do you want to ask to get the answer? They're not just going to volunteer anything. And I, I do believe that other Asian parents also don't share. You'd really have to be intentional and ask specific questions if you want them to answer. Right. Seems like everything's adding up here. We talked about celebrities speaking out, but they're trained to be outgoing, right? Whether or not they grew up in this culture of their parents not talking about stuff. They're trained to be outgoing and turn it on more or less. And you're talking about growing up the way you grew up and you being confident and your dad teaching you to fight, which is starting to make a lot of sense as to why you're fighting this fight. Which is interesting, again, from my point of view, like I said, Kelly Marie Tran was unfortunately my introduction into awareness of this stuff. And I'm, I'm not diminishing her journey at all. She was attacked and bullied and she left social media and she's speaking out against Stop Asian Hate. But you seem to have done, there's an interesting juxtaposition there where you seem to have done the opposite things. She left and you firmly planted yourself and you were like, my dad taught me how to make a fist and I'm going to fight. So it's funny because she's leaving. You no, know, she's famous and I cannot imagine the bullying. No doubt I would leave too. But I'm jumping in because it's the only way. First of all, I'm not out in public. I have no desire to meet a bunch of people. I don't have faith in people right now. Maybe it will change. And so online is really the only way that I see. And because my community is mostly white, I thought that I could share knowledge and they could jump on board to speak up and to not be silent and to contribute to the solution. So that was my original intent. Still working on that, Joey. Still working on that. Yeah. Well, you seem to be on a... You have a lot of momentum, I guess, is what I'm saying. Well, throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall sometime or I'm going to get some traction here. I will keep fighting. We'll see. Awesome. We've talked a little bit about Asian parents not talking about stuff, remaining silent. And I'm just curious, is that the culture or is that set in place by wanting to fit in so that you don't get the spotlight? Both. Both? Yeah. And I am learning so much about the different Asian cultures. It is crazy. It is frustrating and it's so divided. And if you think about 6% of America, so there's 23 million Asian Americans. And I think that half are first generation, they're immigrants. So you have the other 3% who might be able to say something in English, et cetera, but it's divided. It, it is so divided and it's horrible. The other day after talking to a representative and then a council person and like these are Asian folks and Asian people in the community learning about, well, these folks are super liberal and you know defund the police, et cetera. And then these folks are blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, I just want people to stop dying. And so it's hard to get any unity. And so I was like, you know what? I just want to focus on the white people. That's 60% of people who have a bunch of power. And if I can ask them to help out and raise awareness and to take action, then that is a lot easier than trying to trying to unify or trying to understand the 3% of Asian Americans who are across the board on the issue. Sure. 
And that's something I think we're going to get into pretty heavy here at the end of the show. But as a cue up for that, white people, we need to do more. That's the whole point of this. There's going to be resources. We'll have all kinds of resources. And we're going to talk about those resources at the end. You said you're talking to council people and other representatives. So what is that about? Are you working with them to set policy? Joey, that is a great question. I have gone through so many strategies to try and raise awareness. And because my network is not responding for the most part, I need to go up higher. Who are the influencers? Who are people who make policies? How can we make a bigger difference? Right now, I'm currently thinking if we, like my Asian allies group and my empowered Asians group, if we can dominate a tiny group, let's say like a small town or the book club or one particular school, if we can just get in there with 10 people to share what's happening, raise awareness, then they can help spread the word. And I'm working with cities right now there's, let's say outside of Seattle, there's tiny little towns. There's like five of them right by me. And so I talked to the chief of police. I talked to, I think, three or four council people. And I'm talking to them right now saying, hey, what do you do? (laughs) This is what I'm trying to do. And how does that work? I'm also talking to one of my friends, James Hunt, who counsels mayors and council members. So learning from him, how do we do this? If the authorities say, stop Asian hate, we need to stop this. It is a problem. The police department, the city, if it comes from there, then it's, oh, it is a problem. Okay. So I'll stop denying it and maybe I'll listen in. I mean, that's the idea. And so I am trying to get authorities to acknowledge and then move from there. And New York is where a lot of action is, a lot of, well, a lot of violence, but also a lot of activists. And I'm learning from them and doing interviews. Okay. What kind of led legislative initiatives are happening over there? What do we need? How do we do that? How do you get prepared for that? And then I want to introduce them to the people over here and around so we can share all the different ideas. I'm trying to go to authorities and and kind of move up the chain so then my time could be better spent. And you have experience with that kind of thing in the past, right? I want to talk about your work (laughs) in legislature against upskirting. And I think we need to talk about that in pop culture within the past 20 years, correct me if that time is off, but TVs, movies, video games, porn, there's been this hypersexualization of Asian women in this country. I also want to ask the question, similar question as before, what impact has that had on the idea of fitting in and the he's made it sentiment? I'm going to answer the first question about my experience getting laws passed. In 2001, there was a guy who was filming underneath my skirt, underneath my dress, and there were toddlers as well. I was at the, this big festival and uh, I chased him down and my ex-husband, at, well, boyfriend at the time, tackled him. And so that was where I fought against voyeurism. So I got that law passed by being on all the talk shows, connecting with the audience, getting people to imagine, hey, what if this is your wife or your daughter who this creepy guy was filming underneath it and then was selling it? How would you feel? And so that was not a fun year to fight for that, but it was so important. I would do it over and over again because I do not believe in rape or molestation or any of that. And that had to be done. So I learned how that works. Now, looking back, that is a piece of cake to have got done. (laughs) 
Wow. Yeah, piece of cake compared to getting my white network who are friends of mine to even acknowledge, to do anything, to look at an article, to share an article, getting that legislation and national, by the way, there's a federal law against upskirting and also all 50 states have one piece of cake. So this is a bigger, much bigger pie and people cannot relate to it at all because if you are white, you are not the target. You just don't know until until you are in a position to like feel discriminated against. The second part is the fetishization of Asians. Like many Asians, we are reflecting upon our Asianness now. When I did this interview the other day with a Cambodian American, she is a model and she, you know, she had a low-cut shirt and these big fake eyelashes and very over-the-top glamour, trying very hard. And I interviewed her and I I had this judgment of like, oh gosh, I hope she's smart. My judgment of her is just like any, I grew up in this white community. And so I'm looking, this girl looks a little bit aggressive because I'm very conservative. And I'm going to interview her about that because I was so, so wrong. My stereotype was so wrong. I have dressed conservatively, not tucked in my shirt. If I would have tucked in my shirt in high school, then people would see, you know, my booty. And I only wore dresses that fit me in the last few years. I'd wear sizes too big because I don't want to be that girl. I don't want to be associated with maybe that first generation Vietnamese girl who looks more aggressive, like she's looking for something. And so I have gone the opposite direction in order to avoid that stereotype. And I've tried to explain that to some of my female friends. They're like, well, just wear it. It looks good. I'm like, no, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I want to make sure people know that I'm smart and that I'm professional. And if I wear that, it's just too tight. It's it's just giving the wrong message. And so I've gone the opposite direction. And I would say a lot of Asians with a model minority myth, which is a separate thing, they have gone out of their way to look dumb, to be less obedient, to be the opposite. So they're not stuck in that stereotype. So that is how that has affected me. But Joey, I did do a photo shoot yesterday with a dress. So there you go. That's great. (laughs) Do you look back at that? Again, the emotional impact of feeling like you couldn't wear what you want to wear or you couldn't be who you wanted to be or look how you wanted to look. How does that make you feel looking back? I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know. My parents didn't say, hey, wear frumpy clothing to cover up your body. They didn't say that. It's just sort of ingrained. Well, with MTV, it's a lack of representation. When you see in Hollywood, so there's Jackie Chan and Lisa Ling, and then MTV videos. Have I ever seen an Asian woman on TV outside of news reporters? No, only on MTV with these kind of, can I say skanky (laughs) dresses and tight things and just very sexual. So that is my only representation I have seen. And so I didn't know why I needed to wear such conservative clothing. I just knew that I just didn't want to be categorized. So I would avoid it. And lack of representation is the main theme here, right? It's been the status quo for so long. And specifically, Hollywood has transitioned from making white people look Asian with yellow face to just casting white people in Asian roles with whitewashing. That's 
it. That's the transition. Recently, again, in my like nerdy pop culture wheelhouse, we have the ancient one, historically a Tibetan character in Doctor Strange, played by Tilda Swinton. Scarlett Johansson playing the lead in the film adaptation of Ghost in the Shell based on a Japanese manga. There's so many examples, historically and recently. The importance of representation as a whole, half of it is seeing Asian faces on the screen, and the other half being that those characters existing in realistic situations validating the experiences of the people watching. And we've talked about this a little bit, but I'd like to know if you can point out when the first time you felt represented in TV or media or whatever. When I was a kid, the first Asian I saw on TV was Lori Matsukawa. And she's a TV news anchor. And she was in it for, I think, 35 years. And she was a big deal. I was so excited to meet her when I was five. And I would see her each year at Boondori, like the Karate Kid. There's that Japanese dancing, street dancing. And it was when I was 26 where she interviewed me. <laughs> 21 years later. And so she was somebody that I looked to like, this is a Japanese American leader out there. So that was the only person. And then it was Moana. Oh, wow. I, I went to a movie to with my parents to see Moana a few years back. And I just, I'm like, I'm not 14, but I could so relate. And she was just a go-getter and like, I'm going to do this. And just all that energy. And I just so connected with her. And I'd never been able to connect with a an Asian character before because there weren't any. To be honest, Joey, I should probably see that again, get some little empowerment going, inspire myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by all means, watch that again. This fantastic movie obviously means a lot to you, but it blows my mind that that's like a couple years ago. Yeah. So it's like, that long, don't mean to say this the wrong way, but like that long in your life without having that representation on screen. Yeah. That's insane to me. It's sad. I've listened to a lot of Asian panels with Hollywood people. And for women, their roles are the nanny. If it's Filipino, maybe a nanny or just a side character, maybe a little quirky or prostitute or somebody who gets killed off. And it's representation matters. Let me just say that. It really matters. And I do have a positive story. I interviewed this guy the other day. He's doing a one-man show about Genghis Khan. He is younger. He's 35. And he said he saw Dean Cain, who's mixed like him. And he's powerful. And also Bruce Lee. And he saw some other actors that I actually haven't heard of that I'm going to look up where he was like, I can do this. And then was it Aquaman? What's that big dude who's half? Jason, Jason Momoa. Momoa? Yeah. I guess there's a line with Aquaman, like best of both worlds or half of this or half of that. And so this guy, Adam Tran, who I interviewed the other day, he was like, yeah, I could see myself in him because he's a halfy. You know, he's he's mixed. And so for the younger generation, I guess there were a few people. I'm 47. So there was nobody for me. That's really interesting. Again, just something that I never thought yeah. of, never connected to. So has there been anything since then in pop culture and media in any way that you have felt represented by? Well, I think it was this last year because I stay at home all the time, very COVID safe. Netflix has done an amazing job of incorporating normal everyday characters with Asians. So there's Indians and I'm going to specify Indians specifically because that's very different than your East Asians, your Japanese, Chinese, Vietnamese. And I... Gosh, I saw, I think, eight shows because I went out of my way to watch these where they had maybe even five or six Asians in each episode. I'm like, 
oh my gosh, this is not even crazy. Rich Asians, these are normal shows that are for white people that have a diverse cast. And a couple of them had Asian male leads where they were the popular kids. We don't see that in the mainstream movies. One was George and Ginny. There was this moment where the half Asian, I think he was Taiwanese and white, and the girl is black and white. And they both had this moment where like, you're not Asian enough. Well, you're not black enough. And for a TV show or movie to recognize that, I just like flipped over saying, okay, things are changing right now. This is a big deal. I've never heard of that, nor have I heard of a half Asian person on TV. And there was a number of them. So it is exciting. And I also watched some of the Netflix people, Asians, talking about how hard they're pushing to put Asians as normal roles instead of a caricature. And it is happening, but I see what a slog it is. But I'm seeing it now because I'm also looking. Right. You mentioned Crazy Rich Asians. Would you say that Crazy Rich Asians jump-started that? Yes. Was that a pivotal point in, in all of this? Yes, absolutely. So Joy Luck Club, I watched a long time ago. Was that 25 years ago? I can't even totally remember, but I remember that it was exciting to see a few Asians on the screen. But I was younger then, so I don't totally remember. But Crazy Rich Asians, I listened to six hours. I went on my first road trip by myself wow. ever. Yep. <laughs> a couple of years ago, it was during the fires in Seattle. I went to go see Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan, Shaka Khan. <laughs> and I listened to six hours with the producer and how Crazy Rich Asians had impacted people. And it was so exciting and so empowering. One of the things that the guys said is to have an Asian guy be sexy. Mm. Usually they're portrayed as asexual, skinny, and just awkward or mathy, right. you know? And so to have all these Asians just being, you know, a jerk or sassy or... It, it was neat just to see normal people, but they're Asian Americans. Three-dimensional characters, right? Yeah. And you have your stupid, you have your smart, you have your sweet. You know, they're people. Asians are people. Human beings, yeah. Again, that representation in terms of seeing someone on the screen that's validating your lived experiences. That's what representation is all about. Yeah. And the thing is, I know that there's a lot of maybe controversy of like, oh, well, there weren't enough Singaporeans in the movie or this and that. And hey, this is a start. There's no complaints from over here. It's like, get the first movie in 25 years and then the next one, then the next one, the next one. And also, hear your voice. Don't complain. Step it up. Yeah. So would you say that there's a trajectory of progress with representation in Hollywood? So here's here's my lens. I'm on day 92 of my fight here, a full time. Let's see if we can get Asians less stabbed. Wow. Yep. So uh, in, in Hollywood, is there a trajectory of progress? Yes. And a lot more awareness. When you hear from Asians, you can see this. And I get my power and inspiration by other Asians. Now, when I go back to my normal community, which is all white, oh, stop Asian hate, what's that? Oh, you mean that Atlanta thing? Is that is that over? And that's very far away. So for example, when I talk to an Asian activist, they may feel like, okay, we're making some progress and they have a total Asian community. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, however, in the white community and the neighbors and everything I'm talking to, no clue. Oh, I didn't know it was a problem. I, I would say something if I knew. So it depends who you talk to. So I get my inspiration from the Asians and the ones on LinkedIn, the professional agents who are really out there and the Hollywood ones. But reality is the rest of mainstream don't know. With that being said, the main goal here is to amplify Asian voices, share them with the white community and get the white community to share them as well. So what advice would you give? Essentially, what can and should white people be doing? Joey, I think first of all is to understand your power. 
I think with such turmoil in the world and in America and in our neighborhoods, there are so many different issues and to know your privilege as a white person. Because I think people are like, well, I don't know. And it happens way over here. And I, you know, with COVID, you know, I'm, I'm underemployed and I've got two kids and a dog. And like, what can I do? Like, I can't do anything. No, your voice compared to mine is so powerful. So understand your privilege. And I think maybe look at privileges that you have. And I'm discovering more that I have too. And so I must use them because people are dying. And Joey, when you are using this platform to share with people, that is a big deal. You are making a big impact with sharing this message out. So understand your privilege. Also listen to other people, whether it's Stop Asian Hate or Black folks or LGBT with Pride Month. Try and understand. You won't be able to understand, but try and look through their lens and see and recognize your own privileges again and to start understanding these stories. Because as a white person, you're not the target. You wouldn't know what's happening in your neighborhood. And the idea that I have lived here for 40 years and I've never heard of anybody yelling at anybody or even being bad. There's some robberies, but I don't think it's here. No, you're wrong. (laughs) And you're not the target. So I understand that you don't know. But when we, when people of color say this is a problem, listen to us, understand it. And what we get a lot is dismissing and like, you know, that person probably had an off day or maybe they were tired or they didn't mean it. Maybe you're sensitive and that is dismissing and gaslighting all day long. So do this, try and listen. And why do we say this? Maybe there's some truth around it. Yeah. So the power of perspective, understanding the other person's perspective and validation, not just writing that stuff off. That can't be true or you're overreacting. Oh my gosh. Validation. Let me speak to that. Sure. I joined four or five social justice groups in my neighborhood, which is mind-blowing. I'm so thrilled about it. And there was this post in the local community on a Facebook group. And I posted in there saying, oh, stop Asian hate is a thing and it is our neighborhood. And I made a video and there's like five different incidents and I was ignored. There's 380 people. And I'm like, oh, they, they are not believing me. They are not believing me. Uh, what? Because they don't want to. And with this group, one of the groups is a white group and they're here to amplify Asian voices. I'm like, hey, ladies, uh, white ladies, can you go throw some wokeness into this group? Because the other white lady moms in there can connect with them. And so being able to say, yeah, you know, as a white mom in this neighborhood, I do love the neighborhood. And I thought it was all sparkly and, and lovely. However, when I learned that blah, 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 and as a white woman, we need to believe it. And just framing that so the white woke person can connect with the audience as a white mom and then bring them in. So that has been so helpful. And also I asked them to validate me and my comments. So validation is a big deal. So what that looks like, Joey, is if there is a hashtag Stop Asian Hate and there's an article about something, you could say, Oh, wow, I didn't know about that. Thank you for alerting me about that. That is important. Because so many people are silent and dismissed and it it makes us feel unheard and unhuman. Joey, here's a list of things that people can do. I know people are busy and this is not the priority of most people. It doesn't have to be. If you have one minute a day to 60 minutes a day, here are simple things where you can make an impact. If you have 30 seconds, you can sign petitions. And I have some success stories on my resources. But 30 seconds and also what's rewarding is you can share it and then it says, oh, Joey just signed that petition. So you actually know you're making an impact. In one minute's time, you can change your Facebook frame to Stop Asian Hate. I have one that you can share. It's also with pride. And what that does is it raises awareness 
for Stop Asian Hate because people don't know about it. And if you're a white person, they're like, oh, well, why do you care? Like, is it a thing? Like, I don't understand your connection. So people will at least see it. And plus, to your Asian contacts, they may say, oh, maybe that person is a safe person to talk to. Another one minute is to share Asian voices. Whenever you see Stop Asian hashtag or something about Asian culture, read it. And if it's something that you agree with or is interesting, then share it. And nobody's going to really look at it until you say why they should read it or look at it. So put some intrigue in there. Because Stop Asian Hate is not trendy, You know, sharing things on Pride or BLM is very trendy and it's popular and it's safe. Stop Asian Hate isn't that way. Nobody touches it. So if you can help normalize interaction with it, that would be helpful. So that's like one minute. Sharing interesting things about Asian culture. There are lots of articles about it. One of them that is out this month is the 442 was the most highly decorated American battalion in the States. It was Japanese Americans and Hawaiian Americans. And there's a book on it now called Facing the Mountain. And these three Japanese American ladies who are 93 years old fought for 15 years to get this stamp out there and is released this year. There are a lot of neat American stories like that. So share it. Maybe you don't want to share any like violence. Okay, we'll share this. Other things, you can read an article. You know, it's going to take three to eight minutes. You can watch the news, which is one to three minutes. You can start conversations about, hey, did you know about whitewashing? Hey, did you watch Ghosts on a Shell? Did you know that Scarlett Johansson, blah, blah, blah. And she, she thought like, hey, I should be able to do whatever I want. No matter what your interest is, there is an Asian story in there that you could share. So it's not like you're sharing random things. This is what you're into. You could you can make it relevant just how you are doing, Joey. And there are a number of Asian American podcasts and talking about this. So that's 30 minutes. There's Asian panels to watch. You can get bystander training. And if you're thinking about, well, how do I get this time? Well, listen in double speed. If you were getting dressed in the morning, I usually wear pajamas, so that's not really my thing, but... <laughs> it's COVID time. Yeah, yeah. But you're doing laundry, you're walking somewhere, you could be piping things in your ears. And so there is time. So it's just a matter of, do you want to be part of the solution? And being part of the solution needs to mean taking action, talking about it. And it is a fascinating topic that is highly complex. So we talked a lot about representation in terms of Hollywood media, but representation in terms of news and news media is also a big part of this. You've mentioned white people not being able to see this stuff in the news. There are a lot of Asian Americans in the news, but when you hear Connie Chung, who's been a news reporter for 40 years or so, she's talking about this and how she has fought over the years again and again to get Asian stories in there. And it's such a fight because news is a business. So who's paying for that? And let's see, Dion Lim is one of the prominent Asian American Chinese reporters in San Francisco. And she said for the first time ever, there was a white guy who's a white gay male who wanted to cover an Asian hate story. And that was the first time. First time ever. For her. Yeah. I was listening to this other Chinese reporter who's a big deal. He was saying he lobbied for one Asian story a year. Otherwise, it's too much. Wow. 
Yeah, he had to fight for it one year. And so there's a struggle to get the news out there. And so what I have done to get myself informed so I can learn about all the other anti-Asian hate out there is I plugged into the Asian news sources. So that's Next Sharp and like five or six other resources and they are reporting on what's happening. And then I'm bringing that to the masses or whoever will listen because the stories are not shared that much on mainstream. Thus, they don't exist. Again, it's at the forefront of white American thought is this very recent thing, which is partially why we're having this conversation. I encourage people to research the history of this in pop culture. Again, yellow face and whitewashing. I'll also ask Jolene, what can we do, what can white people do for our Asian friends? What can we do to empower them? Anything. Anything, Joey. And I do represent a lot of Asians on this. 100%, 100%, 1,000%, where we are not reached out to at all. We're just avoided. People are treating us, I think they've, they've learned in Black, in Black Lives Matter movement to not reach out and to study to do the work. Now, for the Black community, you can watch documentaries and movies and books. There is no shortage of education to learn about the Black American experience. That is not the case with the Asian Americans. You need to know an Asian American to understand that because there's not like, oh, we can watch a bunch of movies and documentaries. However, that is changing now. And I do know a number, like I think four or five movies and documentaries. So now there is, but it's not in the mainstream. You would need to know me in order to access these things. And so in terms of what do you do with your friends, reach out. And really, it doesn't even matter what you say. Oh my gosh, somebody even reached out. I'll tell you what's offensive, doing nothing. Being silent, being like, oh, should I reach out to Jolene? I don't know. I don't want to do the wrong thing. So I'll just do nothing. Super offensive. So it is is not too late to reach out. But people who are doing nothing because they're scared to do the wrong thing, already offensive. You're only going to improve by fumbling and saying something because at least you tried to care. We want to know that we are worth the risk of you being in discomfort for a second. And I've heard a lot of interviews about this. Dion Lim, that that, uh, reporter I talked about, one of her coworkers brought her some cookies. You know, like, hey, I don't know what you're going through. I'm sorry, here's some cookies. That would go over really well with me. (laughs) (laughs) And also, I know that's awkward, but be worth it. We're awkward all day long. We live in discomfort. And don't just try one time. And maybe maybe your Asian friend doesn't respond to you. Try again. Be worth it. Like my super white privileged friend doesn't believe in systemic racism. I ignore him, but he still reaches out to me like a bunch of times. And then we've had some conversations, but he's persists. Like my other friends don't persist and don't reach out. And so I'm ignoring this person. He's still reaching out. And we've had these raised conversations. That's much better than my own good friends. So So white people reach out. It's uncomfortable, but it's nothing like the uncomfortableness of your Asian friend dealing with this racism, dealing with people getting murdered on the street, getting stabbed by people riding by on bikes, getting hit by cars. Just, yeah, reach out and ask if they're okay. Yeah. And they may say, oh, I'm fine because they don't know what you mean. So, you know, get in there and you could say like, hey, I read this article. Did you see this? Or, you know, what do you think? Or... I listened to Krypton to Alderaan. They interviewed Jolene Chang and and then I reached out. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's don't expect the Asian to, to do anything. 
They may be in a space, but reach out again. And what you can also do like on your social media, if you do social media, is show that you are learning about Stop Asian Hate. Show that you're a safe person. Like I don't have many safe people in my life, meaning safe where I don't have to code switch, where I could speak my mind. With my big network, it's not going to be worth the energy for me to... It's not going to be worth the energy for you to catalyze the conversation. Yeah, to catalyze the conversation. I don't want to have to like tiptoe around so they can feel comfortable and be bright and shiny how they want me to be as their friend. Bright and shiny, just be happy. <laughs> you know, just just ignore the other things. And something that came out in this other interview, Joey, is that each Asian that we see being attacked... We picture that because there's such a lack of representation in the media, each person, we recognize that, oh, that's my dad, that's my mom, that's my sister. Because we only see Asians on the screen as a news reporter or some low-end you know, role. So it's every time, oh my God, that's one of us. We're going a little bit long here, but I think inevitably we have to discuss this because inevitably someone will react to a conversation like you and I are having with the... Why can't we be positive? Why can't we focus on the positive? Why has it got to be this negative conversation about what people aren't doing and all that stuff? So can you speak a little bit on the stop Asian hate versus start Asian love sentiment? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, oh, I don't see color. Yeah, well, but it's here. The thing is, because of our color, we are treated a certain way. Even if you do not see it, we feel it. So we cannot start Asian love. And when I hear Asian love, it sounds very fetishy. 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 Feti How do you say that? Fetishy. I don't know. I don't know. Fetishized. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't want to hear that at all. You've got to recognize a problem before you can solve it. And when people are like, I don't see it. No, I don't, I don't think that was a problem. I think it was just random. That Asian person was just randomly killed. Oh, and those other 20 people killed were they were just random Asians walking old ladies walking down the street so you have to recognize the problem and so many people don't and I don't want to live in negativity oh hell no but until others recognize it we can't solve it right so again validation of those experiences listening education reaching out and being part of the solution silence is being part of the problem as we've all learned so uh, this is all very eye-opening. And again, the power of perspective. It's so important to get this information out. Like we've talked so much about empowering Asian voices, sharing them with white people and getting those white people to share that information. So that being said, where can people go to access resources and learn more? I'll post some of the resources and information in the show notes and I'll link them. Can you give us information on where to go to access more resources? Yes, Jolene Jang, Jolene like the song, J-O-L-E-N-E, Jang, J-A-N-G.com. I have a ton of resources there. YouTube, I've done 70 or 80 interviews in the last 90 days of Asian voices. And they're very, they're very interesting. I, I'm not just saying that. Then on my Facebook page as well. And you can join Asian Allies. This is a group. So we learn about what we can do and what's happening and what other people are doing and how to be part of the solution. Also, Empowered Asians. And I just set up a Patreon too. So maybe I could be able to feed myself while I volunteer full time. So that would be great. So Jolene Jang. Sure. And so that's another good point. You're doing this full time. You have stopped working. You're 92? Yes. 92 days into working on this full time Free. volunteering. 
All right, one last thing, Jolene, and I do this in our main episodes. It's a fun thing. I'm going to ask you a surprise question. You kind of answered it up front, though. I wanted to ask, what do you do to recharge? Good question. And I... I... You go kayaking with goats. Yeah, kayaking with goats. Yeah, that was that was fun. I realized that I am out of shape. Carrying that kayak was really heavy. So I need to get more in shape. It's soccer. So I play soccer with guys. And so that has been really helpful to do that during lunchtime. And nature is on the weekends. I would have not survived without four of my walking partners because I don't walk alone. And I'm used to doing five miles a day for the last 10 years. And I'm rather athletic. And with all this negative energy and people feeling isolated, etc. Yeah, getting out into nature and being with people where I don't have to code switch. I can speak my mind and they're going to listen to me. And also I can take in nature and, and free my mind. That means I'm away from my computer. When I take these nature baths, it is a sense of cleansing and resetting and shaking out the stress that's in my shoulders because I am hearing all these Asian stories that people are coming to me to tell them to. They haven't gone to the news because nobody cares. And the police, maybe it's not a police situation. And so it is a lot of stress. So that nature bath, you know, looking at the birds and looking at the clouds and, uh, and the goats was really cute the other day too. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine kayaking with goats. But you don't have to. I've to got see, videos. I'd love to see the pictures and videos. That sounds really fun. Well, Jolene, thank you so much for coming on to Krypton to Alderaan and talking about Stop Asian Hate and Asian representation. This has been a really great eye-opening conversation. I know I'm taking a lot away from it. I hope the listeners are as well. And thank you for fighting this fight, for having your boots firmly cemented on the ground, and for providing resources and inspiring others to plant their boots and fight the fight. And people can find you, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all at Jolene Jang. Yep, that's right. JolineJang.com. Go to her Patreon, donate to her Patreon. We all need to be part of this movement. We all need to spread the voices, share this information. Go to her website, go to her Patreon. Let's make some positive change. All right, well, thanks again. And that's the end of the show. Smash cut.